0: Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.
1: All right, we are back in full effect in the Detroit Is Different podcast studios, and I am here with someone that I've known for some years and this person is definitely special to this neighborhood as she is my neighbor. Stephanie, how are you doing today?
0: Hey Kari, I'm great. How are you today? Everything
1: is everything. So as we get into this discussion and I know a lot of these questions and answers to them and you've answered this a lot, but your family in Detroit, what brought your family to the city of Detroit?
0: Well, my father was actually native born to Detroit back in 1927, believe it or not. His parents migrated here from the South in that first wave, the early wave of, um, you know, Southerners who came to Michigan looking for opportunities for their family. So he was native born to Detroit in 1927. Mm -hmm. My mother came from Hope, Arkansas, believe it or not, um, and she and her great well, she and her aunt and uncle um moved here as well looking for opportunities. They had tried California, but they eventually settled here in Detroit.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. So your father's family, what uh what state?
0: Um well, my father's mother was from North Carolina. His his father was from Alabama. Hmm. Yeah. And... My mom, Hope, Arkansas.
1: Hope, Arkansas. Have you ever been to Hope, Arkansas? Yes.
0: I used to spend many summers in Hope, Arkansas with my great grandfather, um, who was a plumber in Hope and raised chickens. So, Okay. um, Yes.
1: Okay. And what do you remember? Like, is that a big town, small town? What is that like?
0: It's a small town where, you know, the culture of the South is very um, friendly. Mm -hmm. As many times as you walk... Times as you walked up the road going to the store in the morning, you say good morning. You'd speak, and if you went up in the evening, you're good evening. People knew we were Cleveland's uh, great granddaughter, so people knew who we were. Mm-hmm. My mother um, had attended Yerger High School. That's the same high school um, President Clinton had attended as well, um, although he was a-, a year older than her. Um, so mm. it was a small town but um, everybody knew everyone.
1: Okay and coming here uh, where did your father's family live uh, when they got here at 27?
0: Yeah so my father was raised on the east side in Black Bottom actually Um, he used to ride us over in that area and say my house used to be right here in the middle of the 75 freeway Hmm. and he would ride us through the neighborhood and try and give us some of the history of where he had grown up. He attended Miller High School, which is still sure. over on the east side, um, and uh, eventually went into the Army, um, served in the Korean War, and came back and found employment at Fort Motor Company over here in Manchester. Stood in line for days, I think, until finally they hired him, and he retired from Wixom uh, Assembly Plant as an inspector out there on their line.
1: Okay, so the Manchester plant, yes, right up the street, uh, NHP. Is that what led him to have interest in this neighborhood?
0: Well, you know, after he left the Army, he had access to the GI Bill and some loans, and they were actually building brand new housing over here on LaSalle back in the 60s. So um, I think he was attracted to being a homeowner and owning a home, That was newly constructed, and it would be the our family was the only family who had uh, lived in that house. I think that's what he was attracted to. In addition, you know that brings us to this neighborhood. At this at that time, this neighborhood was a family neighborhood. It was a beautiful neighborhood, tree lined streets, many amenities. You know, around grocery stores, uh, cleaners you name it, um we had it available to us and um Stewart Elementary, I believe, or McCullough actually, um was the elementary school and they eventually constructed Glazer. So my sister was um one of the first students to attend even a brand new elementary school. So it had a lot of amenities here. In um, this particular neighborhood where he was a, a homeowner, a small ranch mm-hmm. three bedrooms, um, corn a lot, and um, life was good.
1: Okay, and your mom, what was uh, what was your mom doing? what was uh, her her flow and what did she think of the neighborhood at the time?
0: So my mom, by trade, was a cosmetologist. Um, um, she she did hair for many many years at the House of Beauty. Um, eventually, she House got,
1: of Beauty. Now you just introduced something to me. Where where was the House of Beauty?
0: House of Beauty was on the Boulevard, East Grand Boulevard.
1: Okay, and so like it was like a pretty known shop at a point in time. Yes, yes, it was. East well, Grand no. and what what cross street? Um,
0: not too far from Grand River. Okay. Yeah, not too far from Grand River and the Y. So between, I guess I would say Rosa Parks and Grand River, I don't remember the the cross street closest to it. Yeah, grew up in a beauty shop um, as a a young child. So she was an entrepreneur. Eventually, she um, started working at Sanders Bakery. So she worked at Sanders Sanders Bakery for many, many years. Um, Once she left the beauty shop, um, I think they... Started laying people off maybe in the 70s, and she returned to cosmetology at that time. And then she worked at the Glamour House, which was also on the boulevard, but it was in one of the Motown houses. So it's now um, demolished. Wow. Yeah.
1: So, like, during this time, uh, what were the styles that your mom, like, did you always have your hair, so they say, whipped? And, and I done up all the time
0: I did and um, In fact I had a perm at the age Of four so my mom was A beautician she was up on The latest technology at the time uh, Having a Perm was uh, something Big an a easier way to manage Hair um, we did Not know back then You know some of the health concerns Associated with the Chemicals in perms But yes our hair was always well-maintained we were always well-maintained as children um so again life was good
1: okay okay and as you say that um everything was flowing in this mix of what your mom's doing in cosmetology what your father's doing with ford What was it like for you, brothers and sisters, and growing up in this neighborhood?
0: Right. Well, I had one sister. Mm -hmm. There were two of us. Um, She was a year older than I was. This neighborhood was teeming with families. Um, Mm -hmm. There was a playground directly across the street from our house, um, Linwood. I'm sorry, the name of it was Fort LaSalle Playground or LaSalle Fort Playground, where we spent many, many summer days playing with the other children who we went to school with. You know, um, the neighborhood, families, most of their Children attended Glazer. It wasn't like it is now where parents, you know, had to shop for the best education. It was locally available right here in the neighborhood. We went to school. It was people, kids walked to school. Um, We played together. There was a lady named Rose Smith who was made herself the attendant of that playground. She made sure that we had everything from the city, from the swimmobile to the bookmobile mm-hmm. to hula hoops and basketballs and check checkers sets to play with. And she would organize, um, you know, uh, galas for us or play dates for us or events for us or vice rakes for us. But even without Miss Smith's, um, resources we were pretty resourceful as kids and we would self-organize baseball kickball kickoff shoes parachuting out of the swings tag on the monkey bars you know we just played from sun up until the street lights came on and that was really a true culture um, here in this neighborhood so
1: and most of the most of the other Children of the neighborhood, did they go to the schools in the neighborhood Uh, Were you interconnected like that? Like did just the relationships carry over?
0: Yes. So that that's what I'm saying. Back when I attended school here in this neighborhood, most of the children who lived in this neighborhood attended that local school. So Glazer was the elementary, right? Mm -hmm. The K through five. Then you had Longfellow, which was a middle school. You had um, eventually Region 5 Middle School, which later became Halley Magnet Middle School um, and moved to another location, but it was uh, the old school on Dexter. It's uh, Joy Prep now, but that used to be Region 5 Middle School, and that's where I went to middle school. And then when you uh, went to high school, Central was the neighborhood high school, but we did have application schools at the time, so my sister and I and... Some of our friends tested into CAS technical high school, and that's where we went to high school at. So um, but back in the day, kids generally went to school in their neighborhoods, whereas now children there's go to school all over. So yeah. parents pick um, the best educational opportunities they can find for their children. Um, sometimes they choose to educate them locally. Um, our neighborhood now has two charter schools, no no DPS schools in the Hope Village neighborhood, which is what we call this neighborhood. Um, it's um, new paradigm for education, Glazer Academy at the old Glazer building, and then there's Joy Preparatory Academy, and it's um, managed by Fair, Leona Group for Fair State. The charters okay. through Fair State
1: okay for so this this look uh and 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 feel because so much has changed and we're going to get into those discussions as right now you are a member of the hope village community initiative uh in designing uh, the vision and plan for what will happen here in our community but let's talk a little bit about what was and Mm. some of those changes too yeah. Uh, for your family How long did your, your father stay in the home on LaSalle?
0: Till he died mm. So he, he stayed My mother preceded him in death um, My mom died back in 1990 My father and my sister My sister died in um, 99 And my father passed away in 2000
1: Wow So it was just um, So that, that just back to back just like i guess starting and ending kind of that decade um things transitioned Uh, and that definitely is the 90s changed the landscape of this neighborhood in many ways as well yes as i'm from this community and i remember what it was like for me from the 80s to the 90s -hmm. and through the 90s um what were some of the things that you saw change? And then also, what was it that brought you back to this community as a place for your family and, and you to set up and place roots here?
0: Yeah, well, as I said, my dad lived here until he uh, passed away in, in 2000 and I never moved far away. I, I stayed in close proximity because I had my father and my sister here till she passed and I had a, my great uncle. And my uh, great aunt, until she passed, who were in, in close proximity. So they lived on Doris, right off of Dexter Street. So my roots were here. When me and my husband got married, I lived just across Davison on LaSalle in one of those apartment buildings. And mm-hmm. then um, after my mother passed away, we went and lived with my father for a few years until we got our own home on LaBelle Street. So I was always close by, close to the family close to this neighborhood and my roots here. Mm. Um, I i guess I, it was family. And after my parents and my sister, you know, transitioned, it became very important to me to preserve uh, their legacy here in this neighborhood. And as you say, in the 90s and early 2000s, this neighborhood had started to experience the impact of, Um, disinvestment, loss of jobs. um, The school system was transitioning. It had not fully transitioned into what we know it to be today, but it was on the decline. Um, And those issues became something that I wanted to fight for, something I wanted to advocate for, and things that I wanted to see improved. I think the biggest, most visible change was the playground that i had grown up on had become seriously dilapidated and dangerous Mm -hmm. um the playground that i grew up on playing from sun up to street lights came on my children couldn't go there Mm -hmm. they couldn't go there alone most definitely and if i took them we wouldn't stay long because you know people had started doing other things there had become a dangerous place so um one of the first things I did um, was God put it on my heart to reactivate the block club. So at this time I was living on La Bell Street and a number of neighbors, we knew each other. We decided to come together and reactivate our block club. And we did. Around what time? What year is this? Oh, that had to be about 2001, not not mm-hmm. long after my father passed away, um, um, Another neighbor, um, Shelly Shepherd, Miss Shepherd's daughter, um, she and Hope Matlock, uh, uh, maybe in the 2000s, had hosted a neighborhood block party around the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. And after that, I started reaching out to neighbors, writing a newsletter and organizing a block club. And we integrated their 4th of July block club party into our block club activities. Um, mm-hmm. We had a, a, a sidewalk sale one year. Um, and then um, I suggested to the group that we turn our attention to the Fort LaSalle playground that had become seriously dilapidated. At yeah. that time, Ms. Shepard told me that Focus Hope was convening some neighbors to work on the playground. So I ended up um, being introduced to Focus Hope's Community and Economic Development Manager, Ms. Debbie Fisher, and I became the coordinator for the Fort LaSalle Park wow. Revitalization Committee. Mm-hmm. And um, it was our goal to revitalize that park, which we were able to do. It took 10 years altogether to see everything done that we envisioned, mm-hmm. from new play scape equipment to new swing sets Um, They installed half a court basketball, some benches and tables at that park. So um, a very, very fine group of neighbors worked together to see those improvements happen at the Fort LaSalle Park. The last um, phase, they installed the swing set.
1: So this all started from true grassroots organizing and neighbor to neighbor connections and relationships yes Um, and it took time as things do take time Mm -hmm. but what were you learning yourself and what else was going on as you were a mother like what was going on in your life as you're adding the dynamic of taking charge of a black club and leading a black club because real life is happening too so Mm -hmm. like what else is happening in your real life as you take on uh, a new dynamic
0: in it Wow. So interesting parallels as my my family was growing, my children were growing up. um, My husband and I were able to um, get our own home, uh, our first home through the nuisance abatement program. And um, many people may remember that program. Back in the day, the city of Detroit had this program called nuisance abatement. And if you could find a home that was Um, open at the doors and windows you know Mm -hmm. um, and uh, tax delinquent you could put in an application to rehab that house as as a nuisance so the city would give you um, I can't remember how long maybe it was a year a year or two years three years to rehab this house Um, you were only allowed to bring the systems up to code so your your electrical your gas your um plumbing bring those things up to code because the original owners could come back and redeem the property um it was three years it was three years they had three years where they could come back and redeem their property pay their back taxes they would have to reimburse you for any um Improvements. improvements um that you had done to the systems now if you started to do paneling or uh, uh, improvements that were purely cosmetic then they were not liable to pay those back but only the the plumbing the heating the roofing the electrical systems um, if they wanted to get their property back they could okay and then you would buy it for one dollar you would buy the property for one dollar
1: yeah so in in taking this on um and you you went into getting this home which that's mm-hmm. a whole nother dynamic at the same time of of how many children
0: I had three children, two three boys children. and one girl. Yeah.
1: And a husband. A husband. And where were you working at the time?
0: At the time I was working at National City Bank. I was a bank teller. Um my sister who um she was a childhood diabetic. And so at, at this particular time, she she had um, started dialysis. So she had kidney failure. So I was working part-time, and I was taking her to dialysis three days a week. Um, and she was watching the kids when I was working. So um, we had that partnership um, in addition to my husband, who at the time he was um, painting. He's a, a finished painter, and so he was painting um yeah
1: and and this this flow of of family uh, work and then also taking on a new asset for the family but an asset that uh ties together other liabilities uh and responsibility other than just you know paying for like it's not like a mortgage you have to actually uh put some investment into this property yes kind of cross your fingers that the, the other people don't come back right you know uh, and you're now engaging the block club and yeah. starting that up
0: yes and so I just felt um, driven and as I say, you know I had neighbors who were willing to come together and they saw the value of organizing ourselves and Just doing small things to um, get to know each other better and support each other, and to have fun activities for our children or our grandchildren on the block, and a sense of community pride. You know, we we were happy, we were proud of who we are in our history um, in this neighborhood. Um, The Shepherds had been a part of the lodge. LDLO, Lodge, Davidson, Linwood, and Oakman Block Club Association for Homeowners and Renters. Um, um, they had tried to attract some resources for the neighborhood um, it, back in the day. And eventually, um, from the Fort LaSalle Park Committee and me um, starting to Enlarge my network through focus hope, I came in contact with the l d l o and the oakman Boulevard community Association, and um some of the members from oakman boulevard Community Association miss Mary Simpson, God bless her and uh rest her soul and miss pat carter um miss maddie um miss Judy, they kind of took me under their wings and they showed me the ropes how to um, go down to city council and talk to certain people how to go to Wayne County Commissioner and talk to certain people to raise awareness about the Fort LaSalle Park and to advocate for resources to improve the park so um, eventually we were able to get money both from the city of Detroit and from Wayne County to improve Fort LaSalle Park and hmm. um, so they took me under their wings. I eventually ended up being president for the LDLO for like 10 years. 10 right. years I served as president, and I had a, a, sm- a small core group of residents, women, s- many seniors who supported my efforts. Um, I eventually got hired at Focus Hope in 2007. In the Community and Economic Development Department where I did community building and organizing around both the Fort LaSalle Playground, Glazer Elementary, and we started um, engaging people um, in the neighborhood. Um, I'm very proud to say, I don't know if any of your listeners been in the neighborhood a while, but um, through Focus Hope and some of their staff before I came and me being president of the LDLO we were able to advocate with the city to clear Pasadena. So Pasadena street from Linwood to LaSalle used to be a dumping ground. Mm -hmm. There was so many piles of illegally dumped materials all up and down that block so much so that the people who lived on Pasadena couldn't even come outside and sit on their porches and enjoy, you know, their homes that way. Um, But we were able to advocate and work with the city to get all of that dumping removed. In fact, one of my first community projects with Debbie Fisher was on Linwood in Pasadena across from uh, the grill there. Um, We cleaned up that little corner. I always had the idea that you go to the hardest hit, the worst area, and you try and improve it in order to change that paradigm. And so that was one of my first projects um, in the neighborhood, um, cleaning up that corner. And when we saw Pasadena clear, clear up um, through our work at Focus Hope, and I'm just going on and on, but we boarded up and cleaned up so many houses. We cleaned up a lot of illegal dumping in the neighborhood. We eventually began to establish a garden Um, In response to illegal dumping on Linwood and Kendall and um, so many houses that we boarded and secured that were vacant, open and dangerous. um, A lot of them now have been demolished um, because, you know, there were resources allocated in this neighborhood to demolish some of these vacant, dangerous houses. Um, um, But we sort of stabilized it. We kept it from tipping far, far to the left. Many of the seniors in the block club would complain as houses became vacant about their safety, you know, and we responded, mm-hmm. um, with many volunteers who with, without mm-hmm. whose, whose help we wouldn't have been able to accomplish so much, but we, we kind of stemmed the tide of, um, blight in this neighborhood.
1: So that transition is focus. Hope this is around the time when you, were hired in we met yes uh as you know you're uh one of the founding member of focus hope and eleanor Jositis. that's uh rest in peace uh that's one of my big homies yes uh and i don't know what but she was open to working with me you know what i'm saying yes. and she definitely uh for whatever reason you know <laughs> would listen to some of my ideas and i did a music festival there yes uh and that kind of started our connection and our relationship. Yes. Um, and in that, I learned some of the culture of Focus Hope uh, living over here for so long, just like you um, focus hope being an asset in our community, but a lot of the neighbors sometimes don't even engage with Focus Hope too. Yeah. Um, what was it like joining and, and seeing that and having an understanding for it? And then also, advocating for the neighborhood too uh because there are so many people that love that banner love that name but don't necessarily know this neighborhood that much yeah work with it
0: yeah that's true so i think the the first thing that really attracted me to focus hope back in the day was their mission you know they and um paraphrasing and pledged intelligent and practical action to overcome racism, poverty, and justice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, father Cunningham, I guess was an English professor. So I too, um, majored in English and just the language of that mission inspired me. And I thought that it was timeless in its relevance, um, both when they, you know, wrote it back in 68, um, after the, um, Rebellion. rebellion and, even in 2007 it still need seemed so relevant and poignant Mm -hmm. and so I had the privilege to meet a lot of dedicated people who worked tirelessly to promote that mission to work with um the local community and other stakeholders in the metro Detroit area to fulfill that mission so um It was great. It was a great experience when I first came to Focus Hope and uh, started working under the leadership of Debbie Fisher, who was visionary and um, just um, doing great things. She had created a strategic plan around community assets and um, with the goal of building community around those assets, connecting people and engaging people in the future development of this neighborhood. That was before we had ever even imagined a Hope Village initiative, but we were working with the city of Detroit um, hosting their minor home repair program in this area, um, and and we had the same boundaries as we eventually named for Hope Village. And in those boundaries, through some of this work and this activities, we just began to um, build a very strong network of people and have relationships with a variety faith-based, the schools, um, neighbors, businesses. And, um, we just began to lay a foundation for moving this neighborhood forward.
1: So, so with it, because just, just being here, the community has, has changed as there still are many, I think, I would say like some of my senior neighbors mm-hmm. uh, mrs Kraft that uh Mrs. Kraft made it to ninety nine and she just passed away recently. my neighbor uh, there are many seniors that own a lot of the housing stock, yes, and then there are some uh prospect buyers that own some of the housing stock. there are some renters here mm-hmm. uh but the the landscape of sometimes the transient neighbor. Uh, what exists here, th- things are changing. And that asset of Focus Hope, Focus Hope itself is changing. Yeah. Uh, it never was really always knowing that it was, you know, in my neighborhood and, and being seen as an asset. You, you being a part of Focus Hope, uh, how has that changed some of the relationship to, you know, with your block club members and how they associated with it and the perspective of it and the work of Focus Hope? Because it's still... Sometimes can be overwhelming to have An organization like that in this community And just the relationship
0: Right well I think you know many people Still recognize Focus Hope as A resource um, um, For issues So their food program still feeds, I believe 42 43,000 people Mm -hmm. A month um, in Tri-County area they have an early Childhood education program That is well Recognized for its Um, excellence Um, and then they have their workforce development program so they continue to train people in certain skills from truck driving to um, they have robotics classes and uh, manufacturing uh, apprenticeships still at Focus Hope so for the person who is willing to or has the time to invest in training their opportunities there. Some young people are hard pressed. They need money now. Some of them don't have the time they need to be paid while they're trained. And so mm-hmm. some of them are just not in a position because of their responsibilities to really take advantage of some of those um, opportunities. But um, yes, Focus Hope is changing so, Focus Hope decided a couple of years ago that it wasn't going to continue the community and economic development work that my department did. Um, we had become the Hope Village Initiative, a department in Focus Hope that had a collaborative impact model so they layered within that organization several departments the center for children the center for working families community and economic development community involvement community arts all up under one umbrella and we would um we had a goal that by 2031, 100 percent of the people living in this neighborhood would be educationally well-prepared, economically self-sufficient, living in a safe, supportive environment it was a huge undertaking. It was, a, as they say, a big, hairy, audacious goal. And we put our efforts together to make that happen. Um, So Focus Hope, wanting to get back to their roots, I guess, decided that, you know, they wouldn't continue this work. So in November, the community and economic development work, um, neighborhood revitalization work transitioned and um, we separated from Focus Hope and we formed with their blessing a brand new organization called Hope Village Revitalization.
1: So... Hope Village Revitalization, and let me, uh, for everybody listening, right now I am a board member on Hope Village Revitalization, uh, just kind of through the relationship with Stephanie. So Mm -hmm. it's like Stephanie calls, it's like, yeah, always, I'm down. So uh, I'm a board member on this, um, and my post will be for two years. And then from that, the community itself will elect uh, what. Members will be on this board uh, and and what will happen in this vision, not just till 2031, but over and beyond. Yes. Uh, So Hope Village revitalization uh, still kind of sticking back to the story of you right now with the experience you've had with Focus Hope now for over a decade, decade plus. Yes. um, 12 years. Where where do you see this work going with this organization? So just speak less about what it is and more so just your emotions and your thoughts about what opportunities you think I hope village revitalization can offer residents such as myself and you and, and our neighbors
0: yeah so I think what our organization can offer this community is a way to um be a part of something um a way to improve the neighborhood that they live in Um, and to be informed and to be able to be able to direct sort of the work that goes on here so back in 2016 before focus hope um, started to change their direction this community came together Um, we had over 500 people come together and um craft this strategic vision and plan. It is a huge document. It is a very dense document. And Hope Village Revitalization, um, because it has been structured to be a membership organization, um, meaning that by bylaws, anybody who lives in this neighborhood is automatically a member of Hope Village Revitalization Community Development Corporation. We will be informing the community, um, at the first town hall in two years, um, start on March 19th, um, 2020, we're going to have a town hall meeting. Um, we're going to bring several, uh, people before the community and introduce Hope Village revitalization and let people know that they are a part of something big, um, with regard to the development of this neighborhood. So I already, um, talked about how through the community and economic development work at Focus Hope, we were able to sort of stem the um, tipping point of the blight and uh, abandonment in this neighborhood. Um, when monies became available for demolition, um, Originally, Hope Village, this neighborhood, was not included in the neighborhoods that would receive funding for demolitions. Um, I, I, I believe because um, we had reported to the city of Detroit for years, lists of abandoned houses. Then we had a, a gentleman uh, working with us named Jarrell Harris, um, who showed the city our plan to attack um, and to uh, rebuild housing in this area, we believe that they chose to share some of the residual money they had for the hardest hits areas and began to demolish some properties here. Now, um, and we thank them for that. Many of the properties that were demolished really needed to be demolished. There were a few that were still good that probably could have stayed standing, but overall um the de- demolitions were needed in in this area um
1: and that's uh the demolitions just throughout the city of detroit i think it's one of those challenging it's one of those challenging topics cuz on one end yes there are many properties uh on my block alone that needed to be demolished but mm-hmm. uh moving forward just politically many people feel about the transparency and the execution of it was not inclusive of the neighbors for the work and the vision of how it was done uh a home was just torn down funny uh mr reese's home like Mm -hmm. one of the places the best place to hide and go seek was in front of her bushes but uh (laughs) but yeah that home was just torn down across the street from me um so so it's one of those things that was needed uh and I, you know a, another uh provocative topic when it comes to how people feel about the mayor's office because some people are like love it and some people just feel like it was, you know, kind of voiceless. Yeah. So when things like this happen and, and you being engaging with so much of the neighborhood and the neighbors, um, how do you even find a balance to to work sometimes and and partner with 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 organizations or government officials or maybe even agencies that the neighborhood itself may have many many issues with also.
0: Well, you know, in those cases, we try to sort of be a bridge. A bridge between both neighborhood voice which is very important Mm -hmm. and city officials as um, representatives Mm -hmm. so by allowing the neighborhood to interact and um, share their preferences their desires and inform our representatives we hope that those people in power will make better decisions right Mm -hmm. that they will become aware you know, that they will not only just have their arguments, but also look for other alternative solutions that benefit everyone. Um, um, So, yes, I think the topic of demolition is um, a a very um, precarious topic. Um, And I do agree, uh, like you, that it could have been more transparent. There could have been more engagement more direction. I know that there are still some houses standing that definitely need to come down and others that have been demolished that structurally appear to be very sound and should have remained standing. Um, however, I also remember in my job, riding block by block, looking at the neighborhood that I grew up in and seeing all of the houses that had gone vacant through foreclosures or, you know, whatever. And it used to literally make me sick, emotionally, mentally, you know, um, depressed and sad. It would take me a long time to get over it. And that's why I think I worked so hard to make sure that the houses were at least boarded up and uh, cleaned up and Um, our community arts department, eventually we came up with the idea of placing the big, beautiful pictures of our children on these houses, um, as a, uh, exhibition space, um, and a placeholder to say that there's something coming after this and something worth looking, um, toward and something to look forward to. Um, and so we, we did those things, um, and through the strategic plan, looking at land and vacant land in neighborhoods and how it could be an asset and what were some of the ideas around um, utilizing the vacant land either to form um, gardens or um, places of beauty and um, nature in the neighborhood. Um, Detroit Future Cities even had grants um, and, and some instructions where neighbors could um, develop these vacant properties butterfly gardens and all types of things so um, how do we take these pieces of land and turning turn them into an asset for the community so that that's the, that's the work we did and so it, it is a coming together um, I think again hope village revitalization this new, Community Development Corporation is poised to look to the future of this neighborhood. So our offices is a formerly burnt out two family flat building that has been rehabbed to um, lead platinum standards as far as energy efficiencies, um, water retention. We have two rain gardens in front. We have solar panels, the house it's a two-family flat so the upper flat is rented out to a focus to a focus hope employee he's within a blocks walking distance of his job and then our office is in the lower flat and we plan to use this house as a showcase of what is possible a place where people can come in and see you know what what the solar look like? You know, is, is this possible? Is it attainable to some lower level like, like this? These are the benefits of lead platinum. I'm sorry. L.L. L.E.D. lighting throughout your houses or um, faucet fixtures that re, uh, preserve water that help you reserve some, you know, preserve some of your water usage. We want to be a place where people are free to drop by. Um, Learn about the things that's going on at the LaSalle house and get an idea of what is possible from very high end to very small things you can do to lower your energy bills or, you know, or preserve uh, water or um, manage your uh, water runoff.
1: So you went right into what was going to be my next question, and we can kind of pick up and carry on there. What projects and programming uh, will Hope Village Revitalization be launching this year?
0: Yeah, so this year, Focus Hope Revitalization will continue um, a a weekly farmer's market um, that's funded through Kresge program, Fresh Low, Fresh and Local Food System. So on the corner of Woodrow Wilson and Oakman at the Cool City Park, starting in June, we will have a weekly farmer's market where people can come and get uh, locally grown food um, and and many, many other vendors that sell all kinds of crafts and food items. Um, They have said that the farmer's market is more like a block party. We have music. We have performances. We have yoga we have belly dancing we have children's activities adult activities so it is a designation spot um, right here in our neighborhood and um, we will continue that work growing our fresh and local food systems engaging some of the community farmers and gardeners there and other vendors in addition to that we are um, we're going to work on creating more sustainable multifamily housing hmm. um, with, uh, you know, to, to rehab, to improve um, energy poverty. Um, uh, our aspirations are to have some community owned solar in the neighborhood. And um, those are the things we're going to focus on in this first year.
1: Okay. All mm-hmm. right. I, I, um, I'm definitely in support so much of me is always people so you know my relationship with you is my relationship with the organization thank Um, you Kari and I think the work falls in place when it's people that have intentionality and one of the number one things is you live over here so your vested interest is the vested interest of this community (laughs) and not just you you got uh you got angels living over here, too. You got, you got little homies in effect. And little, little homies now in effect. Yes. Grand, Grandma Stephanie.
0: Grandma Stephanie. I You know, I think the first week in the LaSalle house, I had such a great sense of peace because our office space is diagonal from the house I grew up in. So um, it gives me a great sense of purpose to be working there and to be part of an organization that is trying to know that it is intentionally um, trying to move this neighborhood into what a future could look like. Um, we will be reengaging the community, which is very important through town hall meetings right now. They're intended to be quarterly. Again, I say the first um, town hall meeting is going to be March 19th. If you're listening young, old Everybody is included. We need you to come. We need you to hear about this organization that you're automatically a member of. If you're interested in putting down roots and creating a place for you and your family that will be prosperous and healthy, in so many ways, then come come out. We need to hear from you. We want to connect with you. We have great things going on. If you want to stop in um, the LaSalle House, that's fourteen zero three zero LaSalle Boulevard, and just learn more about this organization and the things that we're doing in the neighborhood, you're welcome to stop by and visit us, and we would love to greet you and meet you and give you a tour.
1: Yep, and I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be there. Um, so with that, I kind of will get into the classic Detroit is different questions. This has been a fun, cool interview. Thank you. So the classic questions uh, are first. What was your very first car? And um, what year did you get it? What year make and model was it?
0: So our very first car was a car my sister and I shared. It was a 225 Bu- Buick convertible when we were in high school. Okay, so, so you had to share a ride. We, I had to share with my sister, but it was all good. How, was it?
1: Uh, <laughs> did you guys draw straws for like who got to who got to drive and, and go where, or did you guys just have to go everywhere together?
0: Well, we were very close, my sister and I. She was the oldest, so she got to drive the okay. most most of the time. But I was always in the group. Us and our friends, we would. Go all over the city to different places having fun. We would go to um Canada and do uh mm-hmm. uh cart racing, a uh, go kart driving. We would be just everywhere. You, you we just driving had a driving to go drive. Driving to go drive. We, we we had a good time. All right. Uh do you remember the first place you guys went when you got it? School. Okay. <laughs> to Cass. Okay. Cass Technical High
1: School. All right. Um you are the DJ. At the end of the fireworks, Woodward and Jefferson. You get to play three songs. What songs you playing?
0: Wow. So I would have to say ain't no stopping us now. Uh growing up back then. I I would have to play that one. I would play uh Some Earth, Wind and Fire. I'm mixing it up. And which, then uh, what what song from Earth um Which song? Uh Boogie Wonderland. Okay, there we Boogie go. Boogie Wonderland. Partying. Yes, we would be partying. It's the uh, fireworks. I spent many summers watching the fireworks, and then of course we would have to top it off with something from Motown. Hmm, which one? I don't know. Something from maybe the Temptations, or Are you partying? We we gonna party? Yeah, well, something from the Temptations, something or something. Some something. we have a lot of party songs. Well. But but they were cool. They, they were cool. Were cool they so yeah. Standing
1: on the top of Rick James.
0: Yes, Rick James. <laughs> yes, Standing they On are. the top. They paved the the, point, the way for, for him. James. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> also,
1: also that the, you know the classic uh, bridge in in Super Freak where he's like Temptation City. They was probably in the studio that same day.
0: Yeah. What would you play, Carby mm,
1: Let's see. What would I play? Cause nobody's asked me that uh, Let's see I would definitely want to play Good Life Cause I think that you want to play Like something that with that dance music feel mm-hmm. I would play Um, I'd play Boss Up and Get This Money And mm-hmm. then I would play What else My Eyes Don't Cry No More at the end Cause people need to
0: hustle. That's all right. That's good. I could get with that playlist, <laughs> right. definitely.
1: Last question. Yeah. Um, well, even before last question, my relationship. She was my big homie. What was your relationship like meeting Eleanor? For you?
0: Well, Eleanor was very um, impressive. She always shared her story. She always let you know the. She would let the people know the cost of doing this work, Um, working with Father Cunningham and um, raising a family and some of the challenges that she met. And then she would always um, invite you to be an ambassador for this work. Mm -hmm. And um, she would share some stories of um, encouragement as well. And um, she immediately put you on board. Eleanor was someone to watch. She could work a room. She knew how to get in there and talk to people and network. Um, so I learned a lot from watching Eleanor Jositis. I was very fortunate to, um, get to work with her and, um, she would always help the young people think about their goals and their leadership and their aspirations. So, um, Eleanor was well-loved and, um, a dynamic leader um, in the community.
1: Well, I usually ask the what w- who would you name Woodward after, but with those words, maybe we can. I know a couple of people they change names and street names around and honor street names. Maybe we push for like a petition to name that block of LaSalle after her.
0: Yeah, or even
1: from, you... from Oakman through to the park.
0: Maybe, maybe I know Father Cunningham wanted his work to continue. He didn't want any streets named after him, but I don't. I I don't recall Eleanor objecting. So yes, that might be a good petition to to submit to see if we can get the street name changed to Eleanor Boulevard.
1: That would be real cool. That -hmm, would be real cool, right mm -hmm, there.
0: mm -hmm. So
1: thank you so much.
0: All right, Carrie, thank you. We're gonna get you again. All right, peace. Thank you.